Hey church family, this is Tyler Birch, one of the ministers here at Anacortes Christian Church. I want to take a second and thank you for joining us today. We know that life is busy, and there's a lot of other things that we could be spending our time doing, so thank you. We hope that this podcast serves as a tool for you to grow closer with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have questions about ACC, like who we are, where we're located, and other key information about this incredible body of believers, check out our website, anacortischristian.church. Enjoy the message. Before you guys do sit down, I have a question, and this is more for the older ones than the young ones. Did you guys put on your stink repellent today? Does anybody know what stink repellent is? I put it on. I bet Aaron put it on. Did you put it on? Oh, oh good. Yeah, you guys, you're, you're all lucky. You know what stink repellent is? Deodorant. You guys ever seen that? Now, when you're older, pretty soon here, your mom is going to hopefully be able to tell, especially you older kids, this is, she's going to introduce you to the wonders of deodorant. Um, I remember, though, when I was a little older than you guys, I remember being in a locker room at my school. And I, you know, for me, deodorant was this stuff you rolled on. But I remember there were some kids, and I bet Aaron experienced this too, that they didn't have a stink repellent that you roll on. They had a stink repellent that you sprayed on. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced I didn't know that existed. And, and so you'd walk into our locker room, and you couldn't see anything. Not because there was no sh- the showers and steam, it's because there was like two or three kids that had their stink repellent and it was in a bottle. And they would use one entire bottle each day. And go, shh, shh. And we're all thankful that they, they did do this. I didn't know this existed, but they, they would just spray this on and it would really smell. I was gonna buy some to bring it here to you guys today, but I didn't for two reasons. One, because one bottle was six bucks. And I didn't want to buy that because the smell brings back bad memories of that locker room, right? But they, they had their stink repellent. Well, today I'm going to kind of imagine, do you guys know what temptation is? Temptation. Uh, you know, sometimes you, we can think of silly temptations like chocolate, like I'm tempted to eat chocolate or candy. Now, imagine, uh, and we know there's a lot of other temptations. Well, the Bible isn't just temptation talking about something you may want. It uses the word temptation to talk about like difficulties, trials, storms. Imagine if rather than having a stink repellent, if you could have a bottle of temptation repellent. Now imagine how much money you'd make from that, right? You could just get up and like your day, you know, you're gonna go about your day and you spray on your your temptation repellent. Anybody else need some temptation repellent on here? Imagine you could spray that on and then you could go through the day and you'd know, hey, I'm not gonna have to face any temptations, any difficulties. If I go to class and the teacher's gonna, you know, have a test, I can just spray my temptation repellent. She's gonna be like, oh, you don't have to take a test. I'll just give you an A. Wouldn't that be awesome? Imagine getting to have a bottle of temptation repellent. Uh, here in a second, we're gonna, I'm going to go back uh, to your seats, and we're going to let you guys hear what we've been talking about upstairs. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, but I want you to think about that idea. What if you could have a, a bottle of temptation repellent, and is that what the Lord's Prayer is? That's a question we're going to be looking at. You guys did a great job. You can go have a seat.
Thank you, Aaron, very much. Our goal is to kind of try this out on Family Sunday, you know, to have a rotation of different people coming up. And I have to tell you, if, if you know, for other storytellers, everybody does it a little bit different. Not everybody is going to tell a story the way my brother tells a story. That's one of uh, the, his gifts, God-given gifts that he loves to bring here, and it's a pretty awesome. Um, but we just want to share that with you. And now, like I said, for the kids and everybody, I want to invite all of you to either bow your heads or I believe it'll be on the screen as uh, we pray through the Lord's Prayer together. All right. All right. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Kids, we've been spending the last few weeks walking through a prayer that Jesus told us to pray. And here we are on the final line, at least the final line that we, many of us, have written in our Bibles. Jesus saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the reason I brought out my bottle of temptation repellent is just to ask the question, is that what's going on here? Is this prayer some kind of temptation repellent that Jesus is giving us? I mean, because, you know, it's a little bit confusing. What does he mean, lead us not into temptation? Maybe it is. Maybe if I spray that on, then life will be great and easy. Is that what's going on here? That's the question I kind of wanted you to think about. Because if you really look at the words, it sounds like Jesus is telling me I can pray this, lead me not into temptation, and my life will be smooth sailing. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? I'm going to auction off this bottle at the very end. And obviously, there, there's a question, but as we said, this is coming down to the very end of the Lord's Prayer. Now, we said, and if you read in your Bibles, and maybe you're surprised, I mean, Mike said this several times, you know, uh, the very ending part that we often say, the doxology for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. You won't normally find that in your text. Sometimes it's in a footnote, you'll see. And you can, if you really want to dive into something interesting or, you know, it's probably not, I don't know how much time it's worth, uh, you can really dive into interest to just kind of to be like, well, why do we say that? Why is that there? And, and you can, there's a lot of history and there's a lot of back and forth about what's there. But here we come to this part that we have of, of lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're going to we're going to talk about it. What I hope to do is kind of do a little bit of what Aaron did, maybe not with Chuz and Timmy Smith, but to share some stories today that kind of help you illustrate it. Because Mike has been challenging us to take one line at a time in the following week, like this coming week, to spend time praying that prayer. Not just praying it, but just kind of soaking in it, meditating on it, thinking about it. Let it that kind of, the theme of your week 
be determined as you pray through that. And this week, as we're to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we can kind of come to the spot where like, ah, it feels a little bit like a, a negative. Why do we have to end this prayer? Why can't we end on this doxology? And again, you could go back, you know, there's the question marks. Maybe Jesus did say that and it was just, you know, it kind of fell off or just a part of oral tradition or there's all sorts of, of what. But we need to look at this line. What does he mean? What are we praying? What's it gonna look like for you to pray that prayer this week. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's what I hope to to focus on as we look through these stories to show us how to live it out. So first, the story of the Israelites. Like we said earlier, for the kids, a few months ago, we went through the story of Joseph. And I know the kids remember, and I think most of the adults probably know, what was this story? It was how God has this crazy, and all this crazy stuff happens to Joseph, where he ends up thrown being a slave, and he gets sold into Egypt, and he's there, and then he's thrown into prison. And then God rises, he brings him up to second command of all of Egypt. Why? Because God wants to use Joseph as a deliverer for his people, because the Israelites are in a famine. And God uses Joseph and moves his people there to be protected in Egypt. You know, and yet if you know the story as it continues to the people move there, everything's great. And then time starts to slip by. And over time, you know, Joseph is gone. Memories of him are gone. The Pharaoh doesn't know anything about Joseph. And he sees the, the Israelite people. And kids, we studied this, right? He started to, rather than consider them friends, he was, they were afraid of the Israelite people because there was too many of them and they were afraid they would take over their whole country. So instead, they started to, to put them in bondage. They started to take away their freedoms to the point where they were slaves. And we know the story because around the time of Moses' birth, Pharaoh was actually trying to kill all the little baby boys just to get this group of people to, to destroy them. So just picture the Israelite people were in a really, really bad and terrible spot. And yet, kids, if you remember, God raises up a deliverer. Do you know what his name was? Oh, come on, kids, you're, you're coloring. Now you gotta actually, what was the name of the deliverer? That, that's right, nice job, Moses. God raises up Moses as a deliverer. And so Moses goes through, again, all his own crazy stories and everything, but God says, I want you to go and, and set my people free. Finally, he does it. There's 10 plagues. There's all this crazy stuff happens because Egypt was the superpower of their day. And yet God says, no, I'm going to bring my people out of slavery. And so Moses goes in and by the help of God, not just by the help of God, by God's power, These plagues happen, and all of a sudden, the Israelites are coming out of slavery. This is an exciting day. Moses is is delivering them, and yet, where I thought, because we're praying this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We see God delivering over and over. But if I were there on that day, as we're all excited as Israelites, we've been in slavery, we've been beaten, we've been cruelly treated, now God is setting us free, and we're going to the promised land. And if I had my phone and my GPS there, I'd say, all right, Lord, let's go to the promised land. Moses is leading us. It looks like it's just a couple days journey to the north will be there and life will be good. You know, lead us not into temptation. This is great. God is leading us away in life. It's going to be good. But then all of a sudden, as I see my GPS, why are we not going north? It's just a couple days. Why are we going west? 
Because what's to the west, if you know the story? There's a big body of water called the Red Sea. Lord, what are you doing? Lead me not into temptation, lead me not into difficulty, but we're headed to the Red Sea. And not only that, there's a, the Egyptian army decides that they don't want to let us go after all, and so they're coming after us. And we're going into a dead-end corner. What are you doing? Where is your leading, Lord? What does it mean for you to lead us not into temptation? God is the one leading them. He's there showing up as a, a cloud, a pillar in a really evident way. You know, I'm maybe praying, Lord, to tell his people uh, I mean, the scripture actually tells us God knows what's going on. God knows if they were just to go north, that they would have to fight and do all this, and they weren't there yet. They weren't ready to trust him enough yet. And what I hope, as we kind of think about this story and apply it to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, I want you to just think through this little phrase. This would be my explanation of what it means when we pray, lead us Lead us not into temptation. And it's just this. Lead me through, not into. Lead me through, not into. It's my little rhyme for you. Lead me through, not into. Because what do they do? They go there to the Red Sea. And what happens at the Red Sea? God, through Moses, when they have their eyes focused on God and they focused on the leader, the deliverer, God, through Moses, what do they do? They go through the Red Sea, out to the other side. What does the Egyptian army do? They go in two. They're missing that point. Lead me through, not in two, as long as their eyes are focused on him and not their GPS of, Lord, why don't we go north or not the Egyptian army? Then they go, so they get to the other side. It's a great celebration. And yet what happens again and again after that as they're there in the desert? And kids, I know you've been there. You've you've heard the stories. Because they get to the desert and then do they live happily ever after? Not at all. Lord, whatever happened to lead us not into temptation, you just led us into the wilderness of sin. It's kind of like a a nerdy Bible joke, like some of you guys may get that later. It's actually really the wilderness of sin that they're going into, and God's leading them there. What are you doing? See, the the thing that I realized as I was thinking about it this week, if if God were truly to answer my prayer the way that I think that prayer should be answered, of like, Lord, let me not face temptation, trials, or difficulties today, the only way that he could really answer that, that prayer would be, okay, I'll just knock him out. I'll just knock them out and they'll sleep through the rest of life and then they'll be good. Because the problem with trials and temptations and difficulties is it's really not an external problem. It's an internal problem. Do you see that? I mean, you see it again and again as the Israelites are there in the desert. What do they face next? It's their hunger. They're hungry. They're thirsty. And they come to the point, even though they've experienced God's deliverance in crazy ways, these plagues, he led them through the Red Sea when they had their eyes focused on him. But again and again, what happened? Their eyes get focused from him. They start to look around them. They see the worries of this world. To the point where they come to in Exodus 16.3 and they say something that's blasphemous. And, and I think this is the interesting part about this is because this is the way temptations and trials and the enemy works. I think he uses sometimes time in history where we, we forget what life used to be like apart from God. 
or maybe in those seasons where our eyes have drifted off. And sometimes we kind of remember them and we remember like, oh, you know, it really wasn't that bad. Because here God has done these amazing things and yet they're hungry again. And they say in Exodus 16.3, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. In their minds, they're remembering Egypt now years later. I remember they were once there crying out, Lord, save us, this is miserable. Now they're out in the desert, and what are they doing? They're like, oh, don't you remember that buffet that we had back in Egypt? It was paradise. It was, the, it was everything we could ever ask for. Why did you bring us out here, God? Can you relate? Sometimes with forgetting the, the journeys, the things that you've walked through in the past and taking your eyes off of God's truth. That's the way Satan works in trials and difficulties. He gets us to, to forget what we know. He skews the truth just enough that we start to walk. And they complained See, the temptation to fall away and complain and turn away from God, to grumble and complain is strong. And just like the Israelites, our memory is bad. Like, oh, it wasn't that bad. We had it great back then. But don't you remember you were a slave? No, we had it pretty nice. Again, the truth gets twisted. We fall away, and the evil one says, Yes. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus invites his people to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the Israelite story continues. I mean, we even know to the point where like at the end of it, like Joshua and Caleb are the only people that come out of Israel or out of Egypt that actually make it into the promised land. Uh, The rest in their unbelief for, you know, they, they're there and they die in the desert, but God still allows their children to make it in. So that's the Israelite story. And I, I just want you to, again, that mind, lead us, lead us through, not into. As long as they kept their eyes focused on him, on God, they would walk through. So I want to bring up another story. And this one's in the New Testament. Again, probably familiar it's the story of Peter, and we don't have time to tell the whole story, but I want to zoom to a specific night, because it's the night before, it's actually the, the night where, where Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, it's the night before the trial, he's about to be betrayed, um, terrible things are coming, but there's this line, because he goes up to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's been many times, he takes his disciples with him, and Peter's one of them, and he said something to him that night from... Matthew 26, 41. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And again, does he be like, hey guys, just watch and pray and, you know, keep the temptation away? Is that, is that what happens? He says, and he says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And this week, as I was thinking about, okay, this prayer, lead us not into temptation. Here's this time where Jesus tells his disciples, pray that you won't fall into temptation. But I was like, well, so what was Jesus telling them to pray, and did it work? 
You know, because he's there in the garden, he says, pray. And in my mind, I think I probably heard that as a kid the first time. And so in my mind, what he was talking about, he was saying, hey, don't pray that you won't fall into the temptation to go to sleep. In my mind, that's just kind of where it connected. And so all these years, I was like, so he didn't want him to go to sleep. Okay. So, and then he came back and he saw him sleep and he's like, no, you guys really need to pray against the temptation of sleep. Now, I don't know if that was maybe a part, I, but now I realize as I look at it, I know at least for one guy, that wasn't what he was talking about. Jesus was, was telling him, temptations are coming. The prayer isn't some form of temptation repellent. He said, temptation is coming. And because if you know anything about the story of Peter, you know that he was this kind of, at least the, the image I get is just this loud you know, guy that he did everything 100%. And so a little bit before this, they were in a different spot. And Jesus had just told them, you guys are going to... Some storms are coming. And actually, Jesus told him, you guys are going to fall away. And Peter was like, ho, oh. He's like, hey, you may not know me. My name is Peter. And I don't care if everyone on the face of this earth falls away. I would never fall away from you. Peter's like, I don't even know why you said that. You need to take that back. And in some ways, it's kind of like us sometimes. We're here at church. We're worshiping. We're being like, man, I'm on fire for God, for Jesus. Bring it on, Lord. Whatever happens, I'm, I trust you. And we're kind of like Peter in that moment. And so there we are, you know, kind of praying, Lord, lead us not into temptation. We're ready to go. And, and yet you know as the story goes and, and Jesus tells them what's going to happen. But even with all of that, Peter's like, no, there's no possible way I'm going to fall away from you. And Jesus had told him, guys, Pray that you won't enter into temptation, not the temptation to sleep. And so the, the events play out. Judas comes. The betrayal happens. The, the, the force takes Jesus back. I don't know all of the individual temptations, fears, and challenges that all of them face, but we do get an image or a glimpse into Peter's story. Because what does Peter do? Peter actually follows along. Maybe he's thinking, look, see, I said I wouldn't fall away. All those other guys scattered, but I'm sneaking in with them. And he sneaks in to the fire as this trial is going on. And, and there's all this, you know, everybody's in an uproar. And Peter's like, I'm not going to fall away. Look at me. And he sneaks up to the fire like, I'm staying close. I don't know what he had planned. I don't know if he had like a rescue plan going on in the back of his mind. He's like, God, Jesus, I'm coming. I can help you out of this situation. But we know the story, right? We know what happens. A, a, a little slave girl, it's like they're sitting at the campfire. Hey, aren't you, aren't you with him? Aren't you one of him? And he's there planning his rescue mission and all that. And he's like, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and again, and a little while later, somebody else says it again. No, I think, I think you're one of them, aren't you? And I, you know, self-preservation, whatever it is, all of a sudden, Peter, this one who was standing in church saying, Lord, I'll never fall away. I'll worship you. The very next moment, he, he's there. And what does he do? He falls. He falls hard. His head goes down and he walks away in shame. But that's not the end of the story. You know the story. 
What happens? Jesus, he resurrects, he comes back to life, everything happens, and there, and, he, and at some point, he, he goes over to Peter, knowing what Peter is still carrying, this weight of, Lord, I prayed, lead me not into temptation. I said I would do it, and then I recognized that you knew things about my heart that I didn't even know, and I'm worthless. That's, that's all that Peter was feeling, and then Jesus, what does he do? He takes Peter aside. He lifts up his head, and he says, Peter... I know. I knew what you were going to face. I knew what was in your heart that you couldn't even see. But rather than rejecting him and saying, Peter, you hypocrite, get out of my way. I cannot use you. He picked up his head. He restored him and said, Peter, I want to use you to grow my kingdom. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is your story with trials, with difficulties? When you look back at your Red Seas, your times of temptation and testing, what do you see? What does that story tell? Jesus makes it very clear. He's like a weather forecaster basically in the Bible, saying, hey, storms are coming. John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You will have difficulty, temptation. We're like, well, why are we praying, Lord, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil yet. But take heart. I have overcome the world. James 1 says much about this that we don't have time to get into, but James 1, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13 makes it clear, you know, that we, God isn't the one tempting us. So the question is, what is tempting us? What is it? You know, what outside thing is happening that we can get rid of? No, it says, James 1, 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, the prayer that I want to pray is like the temptation repellent. You know, the problem is God would have to remove me from the equation in order to remove the desires, the temptation. The prayer isn't a one of, you know, a repellent. It's one of praying, Lord, lead me through as I keep my eyes on you. Lead me through, not into. See, the plan of the evil one is to use our desires to get us to take our eyes off of him, to get us to go into the Red Sea with the Egyptian army, to go into the hunger pains, the desert. Or Peter, think about earlier in his life when he's there and he's walking on water to the Lord, but what happens? His eyes shift from the Lord onto the the storms, the waves, everything going on around him, and he begins to sink that's the plan of the enemy, is to get us, him to align our desires, to take our eyes off of the Lord. Where are you at today in trials, 
in difficulties. I mean, even kids, you all face times when somebody gets something that you wanted. And in that moment, what do you do? First, your desire says, no, it's mine. What would it be like to focus your eyes to say, Lord, lead us not into temptation? Doesn't mean to have the repellent to keep it away. It means when I face the Red Sea or the desert beyond, I'm going to keep my eyes focused on you to surrender into your hands to surrender to your, to your leading. Jesus, like the weatherman, says, storms are coming. What do we do? Freak out? Live the rest of our life in fear and dread of, oh, things are going good right now, but just wait for the other shoe to drop, right? I don't know how many of you sometimes were raised in that, with that motto of like, hey, don't enjoy life too much is what it translates into. Don't enjoy life too much because you know something bad's coming right around the corner. Many of us live our life that way. Jesus invites us to set our eyes upon the Father. Storms are coming. That doesn't mean you have to live your life in fear and dread. He's warning us about it, allowing us to bring them to him. But in the midst of it, he offers a peace that passes all understanding. We pray the prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And with that thought in mind, I want to invite the men that are going to be serving communion to head back there because we're going to be kind of hitting into it a little bit earlier in a moment. We're going to be doing communion, and at the end of that, I want to leave you with one last story. But I want you to think about this. This prayer that Jesus is putting out there to say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you would have thought when Jesus came that he would have had the opportunity to have the ultimate temptation repellent, right? Maybe he didn't need the bottle like we would hope for, but Jesus would have, just by his personality, he would have been able to like, you know, nothing could have bothered him. He would have had like smooth sailing life, right? He's, this, is, this is God who came down to earth. He should not have to worry about trials and temptations and difficulties. And if that were the case, then today our message, our invitation would be, see, if you just trust your life in Jesus, you're going to get to live like him. He just lived his life smooth sailing and easy living. Was that the life that Jesus came and lived? Not at all. Actually, the very opposite happened. Jesus, it says, tells us in Matthew 4, at the beginning of his ministry, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came. The evil one came. And Jesus is the only one on the face of the earth that has ever experienced the full brunt of the storm of temptation. Why? Because he's the only one who never gave in to it. He experienced the full brunt of everything the enemy had to offer to try to get his eyes off of his father and to get it to focus on his needs and on his desires. And as the enemy tried over and over, nothing, he could do nothing. And yet Jesus, what didn't just end there when he was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, he went on and lived his life. And then he got to the point where Philippians 2, 7 says, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death 
on a cross. And again, I would have thought, you know, is the message of Jesus come, come to him and then your life is just going to be easy, just like it was for Jesus. No, he experienced storms. He kept his eyes on the Father through, through all of it, even to the point of not just, because you ask the question, well, how could Jesus possibly die if sin leads to death and Jesus never sinned? How could he have died there on the cross? And 1 Peter makes it clear that Jesus actually bore the sins of all of humanity on his shoulders. He took what wasn't his on him. So not only did he endure everything that the enemy had to offer, he took all of what we had did on his shoulders all that we had done on his shoulders onto the cross. And in that moment, experienced a suffering, experienced a destruction that we cannot possibly imagine. And he did it for us. That's what we celebrate at communion time. That's why we take the, the bread and the juice. And here in a moment after I pray, the, the men will come down and I invite you to take a bread and juice if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and to hold on to it. And we're gonna, as we're, we'll take it together. But Jesus, he came to this world and he took this on. He took on temptation because he was our deliverer. And he invites us to join, not in a life of smooth sailing, but in a life of holding our eyes, our eyes on the Father, trusting that he will lead us through, not in two. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we are grateful for this privilege. Examine you. Examine your gift. Examine what you have done for us. And not to just examine it from afar, but to participate it, to take it, to take it inside of us, Lord, to join with you on the cross, to join with your sacrifice, Father, that you have done for us and to experience the resurrection only through your body and through your blood as we surrender to your leading in our life. Father, as this becomes more and more real to our children who are in here, as they grow up and as they kind of, you know, when you're a kid, you focus, you see these things, you hear about them, but you have no idea what it's going to be like until you get out and start to experience. This is real. Temptation and trials are real. And every one of us sitting here today can tell you that and they can tell each other that, Father, but so is your deliverance. So is your leading. Thank you now that we can join together in this time of communion. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. We want to take a second and remind you that we love you and God loves you and you always have a place here in Accordance Christian Church. Our services are at 8.15 a.m. and 10 a.m. every Sunday. We hope to see you soon.